0: at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates, price and coverage match limited by state law. The United States southern border. It's almost 2,000 miles long through some of the most varied terrain on Earth. It's become big news. See, some folk, they want to build a wall, an actual 2,000-mile-long wall to keep unwanted people on the other side. Others suggest locking children in cages to teach their parents a lesson. So others, they applaud the firing of tear gas. While there are those that advocate that the United States actually fire Bullets. It's a scary situation that keeps getting scarier. So today on Snap Judgment, we're gonna tell a border story. But this story starts far, far, far away from the border. We're gonna call it the border hack. And instead of telling you several stories, I'm gonna tell you just one. My name is from Washington. Look around. Look around. People are never who you think they are. When you're listening to Snap Snap judgment. Snap judgment.
1: Judgment.
0: Now, Snap is, if you listen regularly to this show, you may know that I've somehow been maligned occasionally as having nerd tendencies with the Star Trek, the comics, the superheroes but when it comes to working on computers this guy, he's the real nerd meet Axel he's a self-taught hacker from Long Island
2: Hacking is a gift. Hacking is a—you're born with it, I believe. It's like you can see numbers, you can see things that for anybody else wouldn't make sense. Like, it's a language, a world, oh it's a passion.
1: Axel's pretty amazing with a computer. He can breach defenses and exploit weaknesses. He's used hacking to get on the good side of some pretty powerful people. But way before all of that, before he was hacking his way in and out of danger, Axel was just a nerdy Afro-Latino kid who liked messing with computers.
2: My first hacking job, like my first offensive attack, if you wanna call it like that, was against this dude, man, called Carlos.
1: Carlos was the cool guy at their high school. It
2: was this dude, man, who had it all.
1: Who had a car, who had money, had everything. One night at a party, Carlos picked a fight with Axel. It was stupid high school stuff. He thought Axel was hitting on his girl. The two boys started punching each other, and they went at it for a minute. But then... Carlos went into
2: his car and grabbed his BB gun. I thought it was real gone. I, I just
1: started like zigzagging, all acting all stupid, crazy, you know what I'm saying? Trying to run away from there. Axel ran away from the party, but he decided to pay Carlos back the best way he knew how. He hit up his nerd friends. They called themselves the Jeek Squad. The Jeek Squad, yeah. They were a crew of teenage hackers. And I told my friends: look, this is what happened to me. What we do? <laughs> Axel and the Jeek Squad stayed up all night hacking Carlos. They started with his AOL account. Sanders
2: had him on AOL, right? Remember AOL? Michelle gets the IP address for me. All we had to do right? was just break down the firewall from the modem router, and then we got a reply from the computer, like saying, I'm here, right?
1: And this is house. when Axel realized that his hacking skills could fight know, evil. Our hands.
2: We went through all the files. We went through all his porno <laughs> We went through all his family pictures and everything.
1: They even hacked into his bank
2: account. So we got a hold of this information and we thought about, you know, okay, hold. so he's got $6,000 in the bank. What do we do with it? And so we started stealing all this money.
1: <laughs> Actually, they still have $3,000.
2: We got out of there and we
1: went to the beach,
2: like to Atlantic City. We was chilling at the side of the beach. We were just drinking Coke, cherry Coke. Like Michelle got like, herself a pair of sneakers. I got myself some clothes.
1: After high school, the rest of the JEEK squad left Long Island. They went to college or moved to California. But Axel stayed. He couldn't get a job as a programmer or developer or an IT guy at some fancy new startup. Because Axel was undocumented. He moved to the U.S. from Guatemala when he was a year old. And he never gained legal status. So even though Axel was super talented, he got a job at a yacht club, cleaning boats and tinkering with broken navigation systems. He tried to create a stable life for himself. He met a woman, and they had a baby boy. First time I saw
2: my baby boy, man, that was crazy. It is hard to explain how you will feel if you see your own kid. Crying, kicking,
1: opening up his hands, his little hands. They had a little girl a few years later. And Axel spent all his free time with his two kids. They'd play soccer, and he'd shuttle them to and from school. But every time he left the house, Axel had to be extremely careful. Something as simple as running an errand could become dangerous, depending where he was. I was dropping Christopher
2: to, you know, elementary school.
1: It was snowing, and a woman hit Axel from behind. For a lot of people, this would have been a minor accident. Of course, I didn't have a, you know, a valid driver license.
2: I had a fake one. Um, I could easily run the hell away from the accident, but my son was in the back seat. And, um, She called the cops on me.
1: The cops arrested Axel. And when Axel got to the police station, the cops called immigration.
2: And here I am. And I'm like, listen, man, I've been in the country. Where is Barack Obama's form? I mean, there is a law that will cover you if you have kids in the states.
1: Axel was born two years too early to qualify for DACA. That's the immigration policy that allows people who were brought to the states as children to legally work and live in the U.S. for a couple years. I got
2: deported. I just got kicked out. I just got kicked out like if I was a pig. It's messed up, man. It is messed up. I mean, they chained you up in the seat while you're traveling in the plane. I was thinking about my kids. I mean, the first thing I thought was, would I ever see them again?
1: The plane landed in Guatemala, the country Axel left when he was just a baby. As soon as he arrived in Guatemala City, Axel put all his energy into finding work and making enough cash to get back to his kids. He had no idea how long he would stay. He was gonna take some time to try and figure it out. He worked under the table, selling fish at a local market. And at night, he slept outside in the city's main plaza.
2: And I decided to go ahead and say, it, I'm out of here.
1: He used the last of his money on a bus ticket and headed north to the Guatemala-Mexico border.
0: Mexico's president recently announced plans to crack down on the illegal flow of people into his country.
1: Axel arrived at the border at a dangerous time. The
0: U.S. has expanded its own border enforcement efforts.
1: The Mexican government was on the lookout for migrants just like Axel, who were coming from Central America. The U.S. was paying Mexico over $100 million a year to find these Central American migrants in Mexico and deport them. I was afraid too. But I knew I
2: needed to go heading north, right? I didn't even know where to go.
1: Axel roamed through southern Mexico. Unsure if he was heading in the right direction. But the journey was too complicated for him to make by himself. So Axel started looking for a computer and a group of people he could travel with. I found these three kids. Jimmy,
2: Charlie, Meme. (laughs) I, I introduced myself and I was like, look, man. I don't, I have no idea of where to go if I don't have a computer and I don't have a dime. Is there any way you guys can support me with
1: that? And we can go ahead and make magic blow. Jimmy, Charlie, and Meme scraped together some money and took Axel to a cyber cafe in town. As soon as Axel walked into the cafe, he was at home. He found a desktop, cleaned up all the viruses, downloaded Google Earth... And then use the satellite images to plot a path through the jungle for the four of them.
2: And of course, you know, I tell them, look, we're not gonna take the same route that everybody's taking. We're gonna go ahead and go deep down in the jungle. And it was it was extremely hardcore. I mean, in the jungle, all you see is mosquitoes busting your whole entire body, branches, trees, and mud. Look at it this way. A guy who has who was racing New York City since he was born shows up in the middle of nowhere at the age of 35, <laughs> and Jimmy was the one to make the magic happen. I mean, Jimmy was the one that, you know, taught us how to look at the stars and be like, we're going the right way. You got to keep going. No water. The hell with the water. Just keep going. You see what I'm saying? If you're starving, if you're thirsty, grab some leaves, bite them out, keep them going, don't stop. There's one in a specific tree that it's called Hokote. Jimmy knew it, and we ate the whole branch of it, man. We even cut some branches and took them with us because it was delicious. It was just salty and 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 and,
1: and, it, and it was eatable. The four of them wandered through the rainforest of Chiapas till they ran out of water or got too tired. Then, they would use Axel's printed-out maps to find the nearest town. From there, they'd hit up one of the Catholic shelters for a bed and a warm meal. When we got out in one small little town, we kind of spoke to this lady, and she was like,
2: yeah, man, I mean, there's water." The lady asked
1: them if they were part of the migrant caravan marching north.
2: I was like, wait, what did you just say? Wh- what do you mean about this march? How many people did you saw? Um, where were they heading? Um, how long ago was this? And she was like, well, it's been two days ago that they they went through this town. I was like, so I told Jimmy, Jimmy, we got two days to go ahead and catch up to them. Let's go ahead and do day and night of non-freaking stopping. Grab all the freaking two-liter bottles of Coke that we found empty and, man, let's get it on. We didn't stop for like about three days. Running, 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 walking, running. You know, doing the same thing over and over and over and over. Because one of the things that they told us was they're going through the checkpoints. Like, wide open. I was like, oh my God. Man, we're going to be in the middle of the asphalt. On the streets. Safe. With a whole bunch of group. And so I remember that. We were extremely tired. We had blisters. Shoes barely hanging. And uh, when we caught up to that town, it was late night, almost early in the morning, but one one a.m. This was
1: Chihuitas. Axel finally caught up with the Via Crucis Migrante. It was a migrant caravan that left Hidalgo Chiapas a few months earlier, in the spring of 2015. Everybody was there. Like, I
2: have no idea how many people, like 300, 400. You know, it was crowded. It was packed. Everybody was just sleeping on the ground, right next to each other, with whatever
1: was handy. And everybody was just in there, like cows, you know what I'm saying? Caravans like these have been traveling through Mexico for over a decade, increasing in size over the years. The idea behind the caravans is that their strength in numbers. It's a lot harder to stop 300 people going through a checkpoint than it is to stop three. When you see more people like you, you kind of feel encouraged. You kind of feel accepted. You kind of feel
2: like you mean something to somebody else. I went out, and I was, like, standing, you know, out there. I saw this white dude looking all messed up, like, extremely messed up. Not well fed. All all burned by the sun. Kind of long hair with a beard on it. I was like, man, it's got to be a joke.
3: I was walking down... This dusty street in this little tiny like one horse town, and from behind me, I just hear, What are you doing here? What you doing here boy? you know what I'm saying I hadn't heard English in like two months, and I turned around and I was like, What is going on? and this kind of like scrawny, like he, he had a, a polo shirt tucked into dad jeans and like these clunky white sneakers. He looked like, like, I don't know, like an IT guy that had been dropped in the jungle
2: or something. What is this cracker doing here? You know what I'm saying? And so I told him, yo, man, what the hell are you doing here, boy? You know what I'm saying? You're about to get killed.
3: Uh, I'm Levi Vonk. I'm an anthropologist. In 2015, I got a research grant to go down to Mexico, and what I was going to look at is Central American migration through Mexico. And I just needed to figure out who this guy was.
1: Levi had been documenting migrant stories from the caravan, and he had tons of questions for Axel. So when they got back to the shelter, Levi pulled out his tape recorder, and Axel started from the beginning. Everything we spoke about Everything we spoke about
2: was just about how hard it was, my situation, right? I gave him all I had. I was telling him about what I witnessed, what I was going through, what I was feeling. I'm going to be honest with you, man. Look, I'm from New York. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) And I see this guy who's got it all strolling in the middle of the nowhere doing all these right things. Walking with us, going through hell with us. And acting like one of us. And when I saw that, I was like, this has got to be a joke. And then things started getting all complicated. You know, we started hearing rumors about immigration, uh, being in certain spots, making plans to stop us. I was like, God, this is, there's got to be a snitch in between this. And so I look at him and I was like, I doubt you. <laughs> That's why I decided to go ahead and hack his ass. <laughs> uh, I hacked him on a very simple way. And so I keylogged his computer, his Mac computer. <laughs> and I was like, let me see if it's true. Yes, Axel hacked me. You know, I started reading all the stuff that he was telling me it was true. And by the time I knew that, all I told him was, I'm sorry, man. I don't believe in you, but now I do. And I started protecting him too. You know what I'm saying?
1: Axel and Levi marched with the caravan up to 16 hours a day in over 110 degree heat. Sometimes, Levi would record along the way.
2: Go down deep the hole, because if I know too much, uh, and at the end I say no, I just right tacos up, man. I thought I, this was guacamole. Look, man, I didn't. We trade. Don't worry about bugs. Oh, no. Right here, look. I didn't put any on this. Don't worry, man. I'll take it like a man.
1: Oh. And along the way, Levi learned more and more about Axel's life. His mother fled the Guatemalan Civil War when he was just a baby, and Axel shared how he didn't know he was undocumented until he was a teenager. After his mom told him, Axel fled his house and ran to the roller rink. They marched over 70 miles until they arrived in Ixtipec, Oaxaca, at the shelter of Father Solalinde, a priest who helped organize the caravan. It was Easter Sunday, and after days on the road, the migrants celebrated mass. The next day, Axel noticed something happening right outside the gates.
2: I was standing by the door, and then these car parks right in front of the the shelter.
1: From the door, Axel could see a few men holding machine guns and a lot of official-looking trucks. Then he yells, Padre,
2: we gotta we gotta lock the whole place down.
1: Over a hundred immigration agents and federal police surrounded the shelter. They were ready to deport everyone inside. The migrants didn't have toilets or running water. Father Solalinde, Axel and Levi tried to call their friends and family for help, but something was wrong.
3: I couldn't call anyone. I couldn't message anyone on Facebook, that, and no
2: one could. And we are going, what is going on? Everybody was just trying to make phone calls. Calls were not going out. Everybody was just trying to use the Wi-Fi. Wi-Fi wasn't
3: working. And Axel was like, wait. And he like looked in the distance, and he was like, that, that truck has an antenna on it. I think they're trying
2: to jam the signal. They surrounded the whole thing, and they had one of those cars with one weird looking antenna, pointing to the shelter. I opened Kali Linux, broke into the DOS, and then I started hacking the neighbors, logged into the routers motors, and then it was all blocked. All you had to do is just lock the whole replace thing, replace the whole password, and get it up and running. And that's all I did, it was so simple.
3: So I was just sitting there and I was twiddling my thumbs and I was like, I really hope this works. I was checking my cell phone every five minutes to try to see if the connection was up, it wasn't up, it wasn't up, it wasn't up. And then all of a sudden, boom, like a little bit of signal, just a little bit, it wasn't a lot. But I was like, okay, sent like one message out to, you know, my family, I'm okay. And then Axel comes back and he's like, they made the call, got it through. I don't know how long I can keep it running, but Father solin has contacted his people in Mexico City and they say they're on their way.
1: Within a couple of days, human rights observers arrived in support of the caravan. They were ready to raise hell if the police detained any of the migrants. So the police decided to let the Via Cruces go. Father Solalinde offered Axel a job to stay at the shelter and be his IT guy.
2: Everything is being about my kids. Everything. I wanted to go ahead and get back quick, as quick as possible. I was like, you know, I'm going to the U.S., so thank you, but not.
1: So Axel headed toward Mexico City, along with the other migrants. He took Levi's number and said he would call if he needed anything.
0: with the snappers Axel's story is about to take a turn you do not expect Snap Judgement get things done faster and more efficiently. So when you think about business, think Odoo. To learn more, visit odoo.com snap. That's O-D-O-O dot com slash snap. Welcome back to Snap Judgment. When last we left Axel, he had just found the migrant caravan and was headed north towards the U.S.-Mexico border.
1: So Axel headed toward Mexico City, along with the other migrants. He took Levi's number and said he would call if he needed anything.
3: So I, I, was, in my, I was in my living room. When the phone rang, it was actually kind of late at night, and I was like, "This is really strange." I think it was like one in the morning. Can you hear? Me? Yeah, man, I can hear you. How are you doing?
1: Axel actually made it to the U.S., but he never made it to his kids. He explained to Levi that he was detained in Texas by Border Patrol and deported all the way back to Guatemala City. That meant. He had to start his journey to New York all over again, from the beginning, walking from the Guatemala Mexico border through the jungle. But as he made his way through the thick branches, he tripped and busted his knee. what I'm saying?
2: Exactly. It was just hot. So,
1: yeah. And now that if I try to move my knee, the knee
2: makes a terrible sound. And it feels
0: like something's going. It's like
1: Axel managed to make it to a town called Chahuitas. He slept in an abandoned shack and hobbled into town each day to fix cell phones in exchange for rent. But immigration agents patrolled that same town every day, and Axel was an easy target. He needed to find some way out of Chahuitas as soon as possible.
2: I called so many other people. I tried my mom but I never got a reply. I never got a reply from nobody. And the very first minute that I got in touch with Levi, he was right there. When
3: he called, like, I could hear in his voice, he was really scared and and, in pain. What really worried me was, like, Axel is cool as a cucumber most of the time. Like, he, he's like, yeah, man, don't worry. Like, I got this. Like, we'll make it through. Like,
1: But this time, Axel didn't have any tricks or workarounds.
3: It wasn't just Axel's going to outsmart immigration anymore because he couldn't move. Our roles kind of switched. Like, he was kind of freaking out, and I was like, okay, no, like, let's make a plan. Let's figure it out. Um, I'm not going to just let you, like, be stuck there.
1: Um, I'm curious, like, at that point, um, what, ha- if you felt like you were crossing the line?
3: Yeah. Um, a lot of anthropologists would say that you, like, a lot of anthropologists would say that when you're working with really people in really vulnerable, dangerous situations, getting involved sometimes can actually only make the situation worse. Uh, And I was aware of that. um, And I really care about this person, and I want to figure out how to help him in some way if I can. So Levi picked up the phone, and he started calling around. Because you basically have to ask people who you don't really know very well do you know anybody who can smuggle someone through immigration checkpoints? Like, I just need to find somebody to help my friend get up to here. Do you know anyone who might
1: aid him in this situation? And people are like, what are you talking about? Finally, he got what seemed like an answer. A friend put him in touch with a guy named Don. And I didn't know much
3: about him, um but I knew that he said that he worked with immigrants and that he ran a shelter. And so I thought, wow, if I can get Axel all the way there,
1: wow, that would
3: be really good. Levi
1: thought the shelter would be similar to Father Solalinde's place in Oaxaca, and so he arranged the whole thing without leaving his apartment in Mexico City. He called up the shelter, and they agreed to pick up Axel and take him in.
3: Very quickly, we realized things were not what they seemed. Axel? Axel called me up, and he was like, Hey, man, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Hey, dude. What about now? How- I can hear you. I can hear you good. How are you doing?
2: Oh, man. We're pretty much like the dogs take care of everything here. That's how I see it. Like, we're the, the- Dogs.
3: So, were you allowed to leave the shop? Or are you locked in?
2: No. No, they told us to go ahead and stay in here. They locked us in. He's a clever guy. He's just somebody who uses immigrants to benefit and profit out of them.
1: At the time Axel called Levi, he was broke and severely injured. It might seem like he and Levi took a gamble by putting their faith in Don but he offered food, he offered clothing, and a place to stay for free. The problem was that the shelter, it was an open-air garage where Axel says he and 12 other migrants were forced to work on cars all day.
2: Oh, it was huge. Think about, like, think about a junk jar anywhere in the States. Like, the worst junk jar you could have thought of where you will see vehicles that are, like, Been there for quite a bit. I'm talking about 70s, 80s, one of those big Volkswagen Rusties with no rugs in, in the inside, but just the metal stuff.
1: The migrants slept in the rusty old cars at night. Each day, Axel would call or text Levi to let him know that things were getting worse. The food sucked and they weren't getting much to eat. Axel said that every time the gates were unlocked to move the cars, he thought about breaking out.
2: We tried so many times, but then they used to scare us. They they used to be like, if you leave this place, you're not going to walk too far away. And immigration is all over the place. We had no money. We have no, no knowledge of how to get in a bus. We couldn't even get a ticket because you need an ID. It's not as it's not as easy as it looks.
1: But one day, while they were working on the cars, Axel picked up one of the janky laptops that was laying around the shop.
2: And I tell him, look, man, I noticed this. If you let me do this, I will fix them. I was like, are you serious? I was like, well, let me show you. And so I got him all fixed, and he was like, "Oh, wow, 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 wow! Look what we have! Here, I want to show you something." He said, "I want to talk to you in private." He was like, "How good are you with computers, honestly?" I was like, I-, "I know everything about computers. I mean, you tell me what you want me to do." And then he was, like, "I want you to hack somebody. Can you do it? And I'll give you, I'll give you some extra food." I'll make sure that everybody eats more but we need to do this so we can get more food for everybody Okay, so what is it that you need? I was forced to hack people from the government Very important people for this guy telling them that he was giving the donations accepting money I felt scared I felt afraid I was scared of my life
3: So it became clear that we needed to get Axel out of that auto shop.
0: Axel's amazing story continues in just a moment. Stay tuned. back to Snap Judgment, the border hack episode. My name is Glenn Washington, and the last we left Axel, it looked like his dream of returning to America was fast slipping away. But his buddy Levi promised to try anything he could to break Axel out. Snap Judgment.
3: So it became clear that we needed to get Axel out of that auto shop. So I called down up and I was super nervous. Like my hands were shaking. I think I dialed the wrong number like a couple of times. Um, And I was going to play up like this anthropologist who works with migrants. So, so I called him up and I said, Hey, like I've heard great things about your shelter and I would just love to come and see like what you're doing, like what you got going on. And I thought for sure he was just going to be like, no for like, no, but he was like, yeah, why not? In fact, I'm in Mexico City tomorrow.
1: I'll pick you up myself. The next afternoon, he picked Levi up in his little white VW Bug. Doc is just
3: super casual. he just got his window rolled down, one arm outside the white bug, and another arm, you know, hand on the steering wheel, just cruising. He's leaned back. I don't even think he really speaks English that much, but he just was really into country music. So we were just cruising down the road listening to Tim McGraw for two and a half hours. It was twilight, and we get out of the car. Donald unlocks the gate and hands me my backpack, closes the gate, and I hear the lock click. And I thought, okay, I'm in. (laughs) Uh, And the shelter, it was a little bit bigger than I had imagined it to be. It had like these 10 to 12 foot chain link fences, barbed wire on top. Everything was locked. There's no way in or out. There's so many broken down cars and auto parts everywhere. It was greasy. There's all this oil on the floor. just like sludge. And I kind of work my way back. And it's, you know, it's dark. There's no lights. And I'm like, Axel, Axel, are you in here? And I just like, I see the silhouette of a head like, pop out from a doorway and he's like bro what's up you made it ah and like we had this moment
2: man (laughs) i'm telling you that's more than my friend that's my brother i give him a big hug and i started crying telling him dude man we got to get out of (laughs) here think about this and the worst moments man of 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 this situation the only thing you want to see is somebody friendly right
3: it it went from like being really scared and just trying to figure out like what am i going to do in this situation just to seeing axel and being like oh like like we're together and we can figure this out so i'm like dude where are we going to sleep and axel's like you're going to sleep in my van like what do you think it's like this like 1960s old like VW hippie van that's painted bright yellow, but it's up on cinder blocks. It doesn't work. And Axel slides open the side door and inside he's made like a little bed. Like he's folded the seat down. He's put some blankets on and he's like, like, welcome to the crib. This is where I
2: crash. Right now we're here inside a van where we're pretty much asleep with Levi. And it's raining like crazy, and we're gonna be stuck here for hours.
3: Tell me about this van. Tell me what it's like inside. <laughs> right,
2: let me go ahead and give you. A- it's colder, and what we should do is we should sleep free in the van, same van. To go ahead and kind of get some body heat. It's Really cold. It licks. There's water on the on the floor.
3: It smells bad in here. Did you just fart?
2: No, I didn't. <laughs> Something, man. There is. Is the van. Yeah. A
3: spray? Yeah.
2: I spray that all over man. That's what I've been. All right, asking. close your eyes. I'm about to spray it. Uh, it kind of helps us to relieve some pain by having him and joke around and have fun, you know. All week long, I was in the
3: shop and I was trying to figure out with Axel okay, what are the weak points? Where are we going to go? There's a dozen people in the shop. And how, so, how are we going to get a dozen people out of the shop? It seemed like every single day we were under constant surveillance. The only time that we were unsupervised was when everyone was asleep.
1: So you were just in this garage, but you could leave at any time?
3: During the day, Donald would would lock the gate, and I was stuck in there for like, I don't know, 12 hours until he came back. But if I had asked him if I could leave, he would have let me go. I wasn't going to leave without Axel
1: there was one person who would open the gates and leave them unlocked for enough time, and that was the son of the man who ran the shelter. And he would come into the shop almost
3: every night and ask if I wanted to come up to his apartment. He had alcohol, he had coke, he had girls. Would I like to come up and party? No, I'm good. Like, I'm doing my anthropology thing.
1: I've got a document. Levi realized if he agreed to party with Junior, He could distract him, and Axel and the others could sneak out. But they couldn't just escape the shop. They had to get out of town, too. And for that, Levi needed to get them bus tickets. So Levi came up with his own little plan, to fool Junior. I was like, great, listen, man, I've been stuck in
3: the shop all week. I don't have any good clothes. How about this, tomorrow morning... I'll go to Mexico City, I'll get cleaned up, um, I'll wear some nice clothes, and then I'll meet you back here on Saturday. And he was like, that sounds great, man. I'm super pumped. Let's do it.
1: Okay, cool. The night before Levi left to get the bus tickets, neither he nor Axel could sleep. They lay in the glow of their cell phone lights, trying not to think about the impending escape.
2: Have you ever thought about what's going to be live for you when you go back to the States, Levi? Because in one way or another, probably you're going to end up missing this country, right?
3: Yeah, I think so. Why do you ask?
2: Because, look, I mean, I don't know. Probably I'm just exaggerating. But if I was you and I had all the benefits that you have, I could probably miss this country. Do you think that you'll miss Mexico at all? When you get back to the States, well, I have to tell you something, man. That is a no. A biggest f- no.
3: Why is that?
2: Because I've been almost killed. I'm not going to miss it. I ah, damn. No. <laughs> yeah. But I can tell you one thing. If I have to cross this country again, man, f- yeah, I'm going. I don't think I'm going to be capable of doing it anymore. Yeah? This is the last time. Yeah. This
1: is the last time, Levi. The last time I'm putting myself in danger. Levi left the garage under the guise that he was going to get cleaned up for the party. Then, he bought 12 bus tickets.
3: I had the 12 tickets in my hand. And I was like, don't lose these. <laughs> Putting them in my pocket and just like taking a couple deep breaths. He
1: texted Axel to get ready.
2: All of us were like alert. All I could ever thought was, I gotta man up. My kids are waiting for me. So I know this is intense, but I needed to get out, you know what I'm saying? And my kids were the one that gave me this trend to go ahead and do things that I didn't think that I could have ever done. If this plan fails,
3: it really fails. Doc was already threatening. And he said, if you try to break out, I can call immigration on you. We're going to find you immediately. And I was really, really worried that like, if this breakout didn't work, I was going to get all 12 people deported from the shop. We just can make it five blocks back here to the bus station, hop on the bus, it's going to be okay. But just, like, collected myself and then walked over. And it was one of the
1: longest walks of my life. Levi returned to the garage with the tickets hidden in his pocket. As soon as he arrived, Axel and the other migrants grabbed their backpacks and changed behind the doors of their rusty cars. And um, he's like, Junior will be back soon. He, I think he's at soccer practice.
3: But he'll be back in a little bit. And I'm like, you have a good night now. And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, you too. You too have a fun time. And he slides the gate closed and locks it and walks back to his house. And I'm like, oh. And I turn around and Axel's just standing there like, are we good? Are we good? You know, we had we had made the plan beforehand, and everyone should try to wear their fanciest clothes that they have, because immigration agents will sometimes board buses and they'll just profile people.
2: I feel extremely excited, and I feel afraid. I feel adrenaline rushing through my veins and body, and confusion, and I don't know, you, you name it.
1: It was a whole
2: new level of emotions.
1: Lalito threw on a collared shirt. Rosie slipped into a dress. Then Junior came in. He opened the gate and told Levi to wait a few minutes while he showered. He walks up the stairs, and I've noticed, like,
3: the gate's still unlocked. And I'm like, oh my God, yes, this is it. And he's walking, and he's walking, and I'm just praying, please do not turn around and look at this gate. He opens his door, he closes it, And then we see the bathroom light flick on and the shower turns on.
2: And I'm like, yes. That's when he said, you know what? Now. And we flew out of there. Go, 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 go. Everybody's
1: got their bag. Everybody's put a backpack on their back. They arrived at the station just as a bus was pulling up. Levi hopped on the first one. He would scout for any signs of immigration checkpoints on the road. Axel and the others were 15 minutes behind on the next bus.
2: Kind of took a deep breath, man. I jumped on the bus. We went all the way to the
1: back. Two hours later, they pulled into the bus station in Mexico City.
2: We were, we were extremely, you know, overwhelmed. So we went out. I touched the ground, went on my knees and kissed the Told my we is free. Let's get the
3: I got a call. He's like, "We just got out of the bus station. Like, we're here. Like, we made it, and went and found each other. We're like, yes, you know, like running through the streets, like super happy. Um, and it was just a really, really great
2: moment." In this situation, when you are worth for nothing, you don't mean nothing to nobody. I don't know nothing about my kids. He's been there when I've been struggling, trying to think to kill myself. Because loneliness is so hard. So if you ask me, is he your friend? No, he's more than my friend. He's my brother. He's my brother.
1: After he reached Mexico City, Axel tried again to call the mother of his children. But he could never get through. Then... He heard some gossip from an old neighbor.
2: She had another man. She left me for another person. So you best believe it hasn't been easy. It hasn't been easy.
1: Without a home base in the States or a way to get in touch with his kids... Axel decided to stay in Mexico City for a while. It hasn't been easy, but he figures it's best to wait it out until he can get back in touch with his kids. Sometimes, late at night, when he can't sleep, Axel flips on a computer and pulls up Google Earth. This time, he's scanning the U.S.-Mexico border.
2: Just to stare at the whole border and see if I can find any weak points. Look man, I gotta go back I know it's taking a while I left a little baby girl Now my baby girl has become a little child Like there is no single day That I don't think about them Imagine this Not having the chance to see my little girl Do her homework Get dressed Probably even speak Cause at the time she didn't spoke a word I, I haven't been there What can I do about it? There's nothing I can do.
0: Big love to you, Axel. From all of us here at SNAP, thanks so much for sharing your story with our program. That original, hour long score. That music masterpiece you just heard was done by Renzo Gorio. The story itself was produced by Adiza
1: Egan and Levi Falk. If you missed
0: even a moment of Axel's amazing story, do yourself a favor and listen to the entire thing right now. Just get the Snap Judgment Storytelling Podcast. We've got hours of incredible stories by the most interesting, powerful, sexy, musical, daring, dastardly people in all the land. Wherever you get your podcast, you get this one. Snapjudgment.org. Snap is produced by the team that never locks anyone out. Please give some love to the producer, Mr. Mark Ristich, Pat Masidi Miller, Anna Sussman, Adiza Egan, Renzo Gorio, and Eliza Smith. They like chocolate. Nancy Lopez, Liz Mack, Shayna Sheedy, Leon Morimoto. They demand vanilla. While Jasmine Aguilera insists that butterscotch is the only way to go. And you might have been on the inside track and discovered early on that this is not the news. No way this is the news. In fact, you could hack a self-flying helicopter, the spiritual way to safety only to discover at 3,000 feet that self-flying helicopters really haven't been perfected quite yet. And you would still, still, not be as far away from the news as this is. But this is PRX.